You're listening to episode 26. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. Everybody, this is Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, aka Smitty, coming to you on a Halloween weekend. Are you getting ready for this weekend? Does this surprise you that I would even talk about such a subject with you? You may actually be surprised that I would even put so much emphasis on Halloween. You say, after all, I said, I thought you were a pastor, Jonathan. I am a pastor. But I also believe that we need to talk about Halloween. And we need to talk about it not so much in the sense of being a Halloween that we need to be against, but actually what I'd call a missiological opportunity. That is an opportunity for you, the Christian, for the church, to get out there and to represent Christ in such a way that actually celebrates the community. So I believe that Halloween may be one of the most misunderstood as well as ignored holidays in North America. So we are going to talk about that today. I'm super excited about this episode. So what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we're going to hit some street theology and we're going to talk about the ancient origins of Halloween to try to understand that Halloween has been with us for a very long time. It's been a part of Western culture for at least 2,000 years. It's been a part of church culture for at least 1,600 years. And so I think it's something that we need to look at, we need to reassess, and we need to look at North America and look at this opportunity. Second, we're going to get right into a dad life segment, or I'm going to give you an example of a spooky story that my kids absolutely love. I actually replayed uh, this segment for them. Uh, What I did was I recorded it separately, and then I played it for them. They're like, (laughs) so they're really liking that. And then we're going to get into our featured content for the day, which is how should the church think about Halloween? So let's get going. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And I hope you enjoyed some of my spooky music there today. I really just loved that particular track that I got. And uh, let's get into this because I think we've got a lot to cover today. And uh, again, I think that Halloween is one of the most important holidays. By the way, it really stands for All Hallows Eve. We'll talk a little bit about that. But let's get into that. Did you know that the actual time period, that is November 1st, really is... 
uh, a time in the history of, particularly of the English people, going all the way back to the Celts, back 2,000 years ago, that this uh, Halloween festival, this time period, has always been in the life of the English-speaking world. And so, now I know that the Celts didn't speak English, so please don't send me an email and say, you don't have your facts correct, Mr. Pastor. That's okay. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not interested in that kind of feedback. But anyways, um, I came across this article. I don't know if it's correct. As I'm reading it, it seems to be pretty fair balance, but it's on the History Channel, and you can actually Google History of Halloween. I'll also have a link in the show notes. You can go take a look at that. But it, it really gives a pretty interesting background to Halloween's origin. So let me kind of get into this. First of all, they start with the ancient Celts and the Romans, and they basically say that Halloween goes back to 2000 years ago in uh, what is presently known as Ireland and the United Kingdom and Northern France. And it was celebrated on November 1st. And what it was was that Celts believed that on the night before the new year, uh, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. And so on the night of October 31st, they celebrated something called Samhain when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead would return to earth. And they would cause all kinds of problems. They would damage crops, etc. And so the priest and the druid priests, etc., they would go off and do certain things to try to appease these spirits. Now, remember, Christianity starts to emerge in uh, roughly around AD 43 uh, after the time of Christ, and it begins to expand into the Roman Empire. And so then the Roman Empire conquers the majority of the Celtic territories. Britain, the Isle of Britain or Britannia becomes part of the Roman Empire. And so then the Romans begin to colonize this area. And what do they do? They bring their own pagan traditions in, in and, you know, they had the same kind of time period. And so if you look at that and, and you look at the connections between the Roman uh, culture as well as the Celtic culture, there's still an influence around this October 31st. Well, let's fast forward it 550 years later and you will come across Pope Boniface IV. And according to this article, he dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Now, this is interesting because basically what happens is they moved the observance of all the saints who were Christian martyrs from May 13th to November 1st. Now, we fast forward it a little further. All right. The Celtic lands and then the cultures of everything begin to become meshed. And then by AD 1000, the church would make November 2nd, All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. Now, what is happening in this history? What you see here is you begin to see sort of the convergence of uh, Christian uh, beliefs, particularly of the Middle Ages, as well as the pagan histories of the Roman uh, culture, as well as the Celtic culture. And they were were sort of blending all of this together and eventually that became known as All Hallows Eve or the night before All Saints Day. So uh, All Hallows Eve or All Hallows Mus, uh, which was the Middle English All Hallowmas. All right. 
meaning All Saints Day. So there is a, a long, long history here. Now, I don't want to go into further details about this, but um, of the ancient parts, because what I really want to do is kind of focus on the American culture. Now, the American culture and the American experience of Halloween is not something that is known throughout the rest of the world. Now, how do I know this? Well, it's kind of it's kind of funny, actually. Um, I've had two different experiences with folks from other countries who look what we do in America, particularly on Halloween, and they say, you know, it's the most fascinating thing in the world. And now, you know, I ask, I say, well, why? And they said, well, think about it. They said, Halloween is the only time in American life when neighbors actually go outside of their homes and talk with each other. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about that indictment for just a moment. When is the last time that you reached out to your neighbors and just decided to bring them something to eat? Or some kids are walking down the street and you say, and you open up your door and you say, hi, come here, have some candy. No, the fact of the matter is, is we don't do that. So there's something that's that's happened in our culture where we have become deeply ingrained that at the one day of the year, our trust, our our barriers, all the things that we do, suddenly we will remove some of those barriers to our neighbors, open our doors, and give complete strangers candy. Now, I had a dear friend, a missionary. Uh, she was born in Guatemala, and she married uh, Dana Craft. Dana Craft was uh, the man that I featured in two episodes ago. Um, but his wife, Damaris, came to my house with their son, and we explained that Noah was going to dress up, and we were gonna. We had a little costume for him, and they were going to go around the neighborhood and ask for candy. And she said, you're going to do what? I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dress up and go out for candy. This is what we do. And she says, why? She said, in Guatemala, that would be crazy. People will never leave your house. And I thought that was really funny because she was sitting there. She was saying that this would never happen in her culture in Guatemala and Central America. They would never open their door and just randomly give out people candy. But we do that here in America. So how did this happen? How did this trend in Halloween and for Halloween in America happen? Well, let me give you a little bit going back to this article from the History Channel. So it continues to write, or they continue They continue to write this. They said, in the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with immigrants. And these new immigrants, especially, I thought this was interesting, especially the millions of Irish fleeing Ireland's potato famine. <laughs> That's some of my kinfolk, by the way. And apparently, these Irish helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween. So, we could actually make the argument that Halloween is actually an Irish holiday. Thank you very much, Irish. You gave us Halloween. You also gave us St. Patrick's Day. We're forever indebted to you for constantly being the culture of partying. Anyways, so what these Irish and English traditions did, what we did in America is we begin to dress up in costumes and, you know, we go house to house asking for food or money. Now, listen, I don't think any of us today give out food or money, but we do give out candy. And this practice became today's uh, trick-or-treat tradition. Now, you know, they go on and they say that young women believe that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or mirrors. I'm not really sure 
what they are referencing here. But, you know, it was interesting to hear this because they were, you already see this tradition even 150 years ago emerging in our culture. Then in the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community, get this, listen to this language, more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghost pranks and witchcraft. All right, so even by the 1800s, there was this move to get away from some of the ghoulish things that was associated with it that goes way, way, way back to, you know, even to the Celtic times, but moving away from sort of these grotesque ghoulish things and moving it towards a time of community, all right? So they would have parties, they focus on games and foods of the season and festive, you know, festive costumes, etc. And even so much that parents were encouraged by new newspapers and uh, community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of the celebration, uh, out of Halloween celebrations. Now, think about that for just a moment. I think we have failed miserably on that. I mean, there's this constant ghoulishness that gets attached to Halloween. And I don't think you have to completely move away from little funny things like jack-o'-lanterns and some of these other things. But there has always been this emphasis, there's always been this tension in our culture that says and that appears that, hey, try to, uh, you know, downplay the ghoulish things, all right? Now, as they, as they continue to talk about this, between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was revived. So it went away for a little while, and then it became revived, and basically, trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share in Halloween celebration. That's what it was. It was originally designed to be a community event, at least, you know, 50 or 60 years ago. And, uh, you know, and we see, I really think we see this sort of modern development in Halloween today. Now, get this. They say in this article that today Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday. Did you hear that? The second largest commercial holiday. I don't know that if, if you or what you do in your church or if you even think about it, but I, I wouldn't have imagined that Halloween would be the second largest commercial holiday. I would have thought perhaps, you know, now thinking about it, I mean, I would have thought it might have been, uh, you know, Christmas and then maybe New Year's, but, or maybe even the 4th of July, maybe even Easter. I would have thought that Easter might have been a big part of it. But if you think about all the money we spend on costumes, all the money we spend on candy, all the money we spend on decorations, I mean, it really is a serious, serious, serious holiday. And I think there's a clue here for us in terms of our theology. You know, the great commandment of Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know anything about Christian witness, particularly Christian evangelism, particularly the kind of evangelism that occurred in the fourth and fifth century that actually uh, evangelized Ireland, it was the idea of creating communities. It was the idea of inviting people into a Christian community and allowing that community to love that person. Unfortunately, 
in the 1950s and in the 1960s, and I've talked about this uh, in previous podcasts, when fundamentalism began to erupt, one of the things that you saw happening was that you saw fundamentalists beginning to decry Halloween, all these statistics that would come out and say, you know, that this was the highest rate of of child abductions, etc. Listen, I'm not saying that those things didn't happen. I'm not even saying that, yes, that there are some pagan spiritual practices that go on in our country that are associated with Halloween. But my question to you is this, what other holiday are you actively opening your door specifically to your neighbors and doing something for your neighborhood? I can't think of one which I personally do that. For Christmas, I invite family and friends over. I rarely invite my neighbors because they're busy with their families. For Thanksgiving, I actually leave and go to my family in another city. For uh, for Easter, I'm very focused on that high holy day of the church calendar. There is no other day that I can think of where I'm specifically reaching out to my neighbors. And so I think that there's something here for us if we pause and consider for just a moment what I like to call the missional opportunity of Halloween. What other time are churches intentionally creating programming, intentionally creating opportunities where they're empowering their people to look at Halloween as a missional opportunity? I think that that's something that we have to think through. And I think that if we approach it, not from the superstitious places of uh, the past, not as a time where we commemorate the dead, but when we think about All Saints Day, we, when we think about the great Christian martyrs, let me just say, even the great reformers, Bishop Thomas Cramner, Archbishop Thomas Cramner, Bishop uh, Radley, uh, uh, Ridley, uh, Bishop Latimer, Hugh Latimer, I mean, there were martyrs who died for the faith, who died for the gospel, and that's on All Saints Day. And I think about those Christian martyrs, and I think about those who were martyred for the gospel, and I think that the greatest thing that we can do to commemorate them and to remember them is to reach out to our neighbors and to begin to create missional opportunities to carry the gospel forward. And that brings us to our next segment. Segment, I think I said segment. I'm not really sure what I said there. Are you tracking with me? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to focus a little bit on what can we do, and this is the question, how can we dads make Halloween a little fun? You know, I, I got to share something with you, and I'm going to share with you this just a moment. It's it's something that I created for my son, and let me just kind of give you this setting here. About a year ago, my son turned five, and he just sort of entered that time where he was like, Dad, I want to hear a spooky story. I want to hear a spooky story. And I said, sure, you know, and, and I'm not a story man. I'm not one who can come up with stories and tell ghost stories. My dad never told me ghost stories. We just weren't storytellers. You know, we watched TV uh, or we watched Star Trek, but that's another episode. Anyways, um, live long and prosper. Thank you very much, Mr. Spock. Anyways, you know, 
when we uh, when we talk about spooky stories or when we talk about Halloween, the big problem that I see with Halloween is that we sometimes get either excessive with it, where we become really ghoulish and gross, and you know, even related to horror. And, I'll, and I'm going to talk a little bit about horror in just a moment, uh, or we ignore it. I was raised in sort of a circle where we just completely ignored Halloween. We shut the door. We didn't give out much candy. We never decorated anything, and we just didn't engage the neighborhood. And you know, looking back on that, I actually thought that we were just doing the right thing because, after all. Came from a fundamentalist background. You'd want to engage in the pagan holidays. I understand that. You know, that was just the background that I came from. But I have since changed my position on that. So when my son wanted to hear a spooky story, it's not like I had a lot to draw from. But I did come up with a spooky story. And so I'm going to give you my spooky story. And uh, I actually create a little spiff for you. And then I'm going to kind of talk about some fun things that I think you can do. It was a night that I will never forget. A night so frightening and so terrible as to make your mind shut down. Silence! Are you sure that you're aware? Are you sure that you're ready for such a story? For such a tale of darkness? That's to merely mention the words, to merely mention the sound, to mention the story. This descend and to go into a place of such darkness and terrifying reality that we never ever shall return. Do you think that you are ready? Well then be fair, be very careful. Because it was a cold and dark and terrible night. It was warm, and there was two men walking through the darkness, and the dark shadows were oppressing, and everywhere, everywhere you turned, there was not a sound to be made. It was unbearably hot that night, with the oppressive heat laying down like a heavy blanket, crushing your soul. Are you sure that you understand that you can handle it? Are you sure that you know that you can be the person who could stand to hear this truth? With frightening, they began to walk faster as they heard beginning to rustle in the leaves, rustling somewhere slowly, and they heard this sound, and they said they began to look to themselves. Did you hear that? Do you hear that sound? No, I don't hear that sound. Do do, do you hear? No, I don't hear anything. You're making me nervous. Well, hurry, let's, let's run to the house quickly, quickly. And so they moved quickly as they were walking through the dark forest. Suddenly the moon began to pass out from underneath the clouds. And the shadows began to grow into the night. You know the ones I'm talking about. The shadows themselves seem to be the great heralds of darkness. And then they heard it. At first it wasn't... Something that could be mistaken for a mouse walking through a field. A leaf here, grass there. And then suddenly it started to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And suddenly what leaves just falling through the wind, blowing from the wind. 
begin to go faster and faster, and they're feeling their hearts race as they began to go, and they finally went into the house. And then all of a sudden, they heard. Frightened, they said to themselves, Oh, what is this? What could this be? And it was, and then they began to hear it again. It was the hand. <laughs> the hand. Oh my gosh, I had so much fun with the, my kids in that story. And you know, it was all about the build up. Anyways, I would tell this story and I would just go on and on and on. But I never made it scary. I just kept talking about the hand. Well, you know, my son got a little older and uh, eventually he got tired of hearing it. My daughter's like, whatever, dad, that's not funny anymore. It's not scary. But you know what? It was scary at the moment and it was fun and they laughed and they giggled and they thought it was really fun. And that's the whole point. There is an aspect of being scared, of frightening, of ghoulish, frightening things that we like, that there's something to our human psyche where I think we sort of anticipate frightening things, not frightening, creepy, like, oh my gosh, horror. But there's a fun aspect of adrenaline that we actually like. And I actually think that there's a really great example of this. And and that actually is in Goosebumps, the movie with Jack Black. I absolutely loved that movie. I thought that movie was so much fun. I rented it for the kids. The kids, and when they first watched it, they're like, oh, this is so scary. This is so scary. And they did. My daughter, she was uh, was really frightened by it. But... um, it's Jack Black. I mean, come on. He's a frightening guy in general. But they loved it. And then they watched it two or three times and they really got into it and they thought it was a lot of fun. And and so I think that you can do this, dads, and I think you can make it a lot of fun. And I want to encourage you to do that because it's a great way of developing bonding with your kids. And so make certain that you are doing this. Let me give you a couple of suggestions here. First of all, should you let your kids go trick-or-treating? Absolutely. Let them go trick-or-treating. Let them pick out their costumes but you know think about it within reason and you know listen one thing that I want to encourage you not to do is don't allow your daughters or even your sons to some extent but don't allow your daughters to dress up sleazy they can be fun they can go as you know go as whatever they want to be but this isn't a time avoid the sleaziness avoid the grossness avoid the horror I think that those are things that we can do as Christians to make Halloween fun And now, it's time for our feature presentation. And so that brings me to our feature presentation today. And this, how should the church think about Halloween? Well, I sort of introduced this, you know, in the background of the street theology and just giving us a little bit of background on Halloween and trying to understand it. But like I said in that segment, I think that this is the missional opportunity. I really do. I think that if we really believe and take seriously the mandate by Christ, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, then I think that as Christians, particularly evangelical Christians, that we cannot afford the opportunity to miss this 
opportunity or miss this time of Halloween. I just think that we are really losing sight on a major opportunity to build relationships with our neighbors and to invite them into uh, the gospel. So I, I think, though, that partly we have to look at this and we really need to understand our culture and we really need to understand Christ and we need to understand how Christ ultimately relates to our culture. Now, I'm a Reformed guy, particularly love Dutch Reformed theology, and there was a wonderful, wonderful um, article that came out, or article or a book that came out from Richard Niebuhr. It was, uh, the title of the book was called Christ and Culture. And uh, back in 2002, there was an article released about this book uh, from Christianity Today. I'm going to link to that article. But basically, what it was doing was giving a summary of Niebuhr's work, and I think that then as today, that Niebuhr really had some insights into Christ and culture. Now, he gives a wonderful taxonomy in terms of Christ and culture and how it all works and basically breaks it up to five. I'm going to give you three. But if we could think about this as a continuum of Christ and culture, think about it, first of all, on the right. That is that Christ is against culture. This was Niebuhr's first type. And basically, this is what, you know, the sectarians or the fundamentalists do. You know, it's this idea that the world is so hopelessly corrupt by sin. Halloween is so hopelessly disgusting. It's altogether evil. And what we need to do is we just need to be against it. And if you were raised in that kind of environment like I was, you very much understand this Christ being against culture. Everything about our culture is ultimately corrupt. There's nothing good in it. And we need to be away from it and keep ourselves away from it. It's the idea of being away from the world. Christ against culture. And then you have the opposite all the way to the extreme left. And that is that you have Christ of culture. Or I might even like to call it Christ for culture. And in this scenario, you have uh, where there's in the first one, you have a conflict one against the other. This is a harmony between Christ and culture. And so in this way, you see Christians trying to champion the highest morals of, of, of the culture as well as the teachings of Christianity. And, you know, basically what it does is it synthesizes the culture. We see this all the time now, particularly within liberal Christianity. Um, and it, it happens, it, it's, it's very common. It's very common. So Christ for culture or Christ of culture. But there's also what I'd like to call the third way. And the third way is what I call Christ transforming culture. And in Christ transforming culture, this is where society is slowly being converted to Christianity. It's where Christianity is working inside the culture to be salt and light, to bring people to Christ, to look at every institution, whether it's business, arts, medicine, education, family, government, marriage, whatever it is, all of that we understand is underneath the purview of Christ's dominion that is under the purview of Christ's kingdom. And we realize and we know that until Christ returns and, and completes his kingdom, that it won't ever happen completely, but that we strive towards this idea of Christ transforming culture. 
And I think it's through that lens of Christ transforming culture, of looking at the different how, uh, looking at the different aspects of our culture, and beginning to see, okay, what part of this, what part of this thing in our culture can we work on? Can we use? Can we transform in order to be not Christian but actually missionally relevant? And I actually think that that's the way to approach Halloween. Not that we look at culture, and particularly Halloween, and we say, oh, this is great, and we should just synthesize it. Not that we should look at the horror that goes on in some of the more awful things that happen with Halloween, some of the ghoulish things that I keep referring to. One of the things that I do not like uh, at all is I don't like the genre of horror. Um, I think that when you look at movies, particularly the genre of horror movies, there is something so frightening about them that I think that it's just too evil. And I think that there's something about that that I, I, I simply just don't like it. Horror, in my opinion, is a line uh, in the sand that I do not like to cross. And the truth of the matter is I've always been that way. Um, and there's been times when I felt like some of the things that I've watched, you know, went right, went right up to the borderline of it. I think, you know, sometimes I think certain zombie movies and witchcraft and evil spirits and those things. I think some of those things, to me, they, they really brush up against the line if they don't cross the line. I'm not telling you what that line is for you, but for me, I draw a pretty fine line in the sand when it comes to horror movies. I simply don't watch them, and I don't let my kids watch them, and it's not something that I think is good. I think part of the problem here, and part of the things that we have to keep in mind, is that uh, ghost stories that frighten us, like the hand and the one that I shared with you, you know, I, I think those are okay. I also think that there is an aspect of horror, there is an aspect of darkness and evil that we should embrace because it is a reminder of the real spiritual evil that is very much real in this world. Just read Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the evil forces, uh, the kingdom of darkness, the principalities that are in the heavenly realm, evil spirits, that is demons. They are very real, and I don't think they have anything to do with what we portray them, but I think that there is something to the human psyche that tries to portray evil, and particularly evil demons, as well as the Lord of Darkness, Satan himself, that portrays these things in ghoulish ways so that we can understand the fierceness of evil, the personification of evil. And... Halloween very much gets tied into the personification of evil. And I think that's a reality, but I don't think it's a reality that we can just simply ignore and just hope it goes away. I think that there is an aspect of horror and evil that is real in our society. You know, I, I, all I can say is you look at ISIS, you look at some of the terrorist groups that are happening in the Middle East and Africa and other parts of the world, and we see the horrific atrocities that people are, are undergoing at the, at the hands of radical Islam. We look at the death toll. We look at how human beings can destroy other human beings. That's real evil. It's horrible. 
And so when I look at goblins and hobgoblins and all the other things, I think, you know, they're they're not real. They're nothing but a personification of our human psyches that are trying to understand evil. And this is how we understand evil. And so I think that there are aspects when it comes to Halloween that we recognize and we say, you know what, I don't want to bring that in. But on the flip side of it, I don't want just to flush out Halloween altogether. Let me give you just a little bit of closing thoughts on this. First Corinthians 1031 says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. I read that in my last episode. And if we take that with the second commandment, love your neighbors as yourself. I think that what you see here is a commandment to say, okay, on Halloween, I want to go out. First of all, I want to be a good dad. And I want my to teach my children to engage the neighborhood, to build authentic relationships, to have fun, to, to have a good time, to enjoy our communities, to enjoy your communities. There was a wonderful example of this, and, and this is the first time that it ever, ever really happened to me, and uh, it was a lesson that I learned, and this is what happened. My wife and I, we moved to Fort Lauderdale about six years ago, and we were in our neighborhood, and uh, we met a, a family that had children our age, and they invited us to go trick-or-treating. And all we did was we just went trick-or-treating. There's two families going through the neighborhood. And then the next year, we did it again. And this time, we invited another family. And we got together beforehand, and we had a meal, and, and we, we decorated a little bit more, and we went trick-or-treating. And then the next year, it got even bigger, and then about seven or eight families. And we, we, here we had like 30 kids going through the neighborhood and just sort of canvassing the neighborhood. It was a large party. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so much fun. This is so much fun. And if this is what Halloween can be like, then how come the church isn't doing it? Think about that. By the way, all three families were Christians. All three families very active in their church. And I thought about that for just a moment. I thought, you know, this is, we are missing something. And I have missed something my whole life regarding Halloween. And that is the power of developing an authentic Christian community that goes out, builds relationships with neighbors, and begins to share the love of Christ just by being present. Now, for those of you who are a little bit more on the fundamentalist side, saying, yeah, well, pastor, you need to preach the gospel to them. Yes, I get that. I understand. There's a time and a place for bringing people into confrontation with the gospel. But as I read my Bible, and as I understand church history, and as I see how people have come to faith in the past, one of the things that I have observed is that it always happens through relationships first. That is, is that a person intentionally created a relationship with the person and began to take them into a community of the faith, and slowly that person began to understand the gospel. Listen, that I think that that, that is a tried and true method. And so I think that Halloween is a wonderful opportunity. Finally, you know, what is the least thing that you can do? Here it is. If there's a lesson from Halloween, it's this. Open your door and meet your neighbors. If the trend in the church has been to take pagan holidays and Christianize them, then I think we need to do the same. 
If the trend of the church has been not to be afraid of pagan holidays, but to reappropriate pagan holidays for Christ's purposes, then I think we need to do the same. I think we need to open our neighbors. We need to get the very best candy. We need to get the very best you know, costumes. We need to get the very best decorations. And we need to show and present ourselves as loving, caring, and open people. And yes, yes, we're Christian. But we don't have to be so darn dogmatic that we turn people off. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you for the time that you've given me. I hope that at the very least, this is what I hope. If you're for Halloween, I hope that you won't go too excessive with it and be kind of crazy about it. And you will look at it as an opportunity to build authentic relationships with your neighbors. And then if you're absolutely against Halloween or you may not even know what to think about it, I hope at least what you'll do is that you'll at least give Halloween a second thought. Even if you're older and you're saying, I don't want to do anything with Halloween, I hope that you would do that. Anyways, it's been great to be with you as always and to think about this. So until next time, we thank you for listening to Grace on Fire. And now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.